is 2.10 in the afternoon here on Monday, December 18th, 2017. This is the LDS Life Podcast. I'm Kevin Williams, podcasting to you from my Kevin Cave here in West Jordan, Utah. I must warn you, due to the nature of the subject that I am discussing today, this podcast may not be suitable for people under the age of 12 or 13. If you have kids in the room under that age, you might want to take them out or listen to the podcast later. And I'm sorry that I have to do this with the LDS Live podcast, but just because of the nature of this podcast today and because of the things that I need to discuss with you, I have to give this disclaimer. I know it is an LDS Live podcast, but because of uh, the big headline that hit the wires last week, I have to give you this disclaimer. No, there is no swearing in the podcast, by the way. But just because you'll understand here as this podcast goes along. Also, if you want to suggest a guest, or if uh, you want to suggest something else, or give a commentary, please feel free to email me. That's Kevin W. K E V I N W at LDSLifePodcast.com. That's Kevin W. at LDSLifePodcast.com. Also, This may or may not be the last podcast of the year. I may be doing one more podcast before the year is over tomorrow. I'll have to see how things go, either tomorrow, Wednesday, or Thursday. There will probably be one more podcast from me before the year is over. All right, I am solo today. And it's rare that I'm solo on the podcast. And as much as I have enjoyed interviewing Brian Hyde and Joni Beals, and we'll have them back on the podcast after the year is over. I've already uh, made a range. Well, I'm already in the, 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 the negotiation phases uh, of getting those two people back on the podcast. As we just have a lot to discuss. It is time to take a break from those in the political arena. And that's what I'll be doing during this podcast and possibly one more podcast. As you know, former Bishop of Houston, Sam Young, has circulated a petition online to have the church re-examine questions that are being asked to youth and children for worthiness issues. Now this was brought about because of an incident that happened over the summer where a friend of Sam Young's son was being asked a lot of questions about sexuality, sexual behavior, and things like that. And I'll get into my commentary as soon as I get all this out of the way. But I want to set the story up for my commentary, because I do have a lot to say about it. But that's how this was inspired. And then, to make things worse for Sam Young, he asked his daughter if she was being asked questions about her sexual behavior that made her uncomfortable and her answer was yes she was asked about masturbation do you masturbate well apparently the his daughter Sam Young's daughter did not know what masturbation was so what did she do She did what most of us do. We don't know what something is. We Google it. That is the age we live in. And it doesn't matter if you're youth, child, or an adult. 
We Google things, don't we, if we don't know what they means. We might go to dictionary.com. That's where I usually go, because it might give me more details about the word. Google might, too, but I just have to look around a lot more. But the, you get the point. We go online. We might go to Wikipedia. And so, naturally, Sam Young was disturbed about this. And so he, last week, was across from Temple Square with a table having people sign this petition. And when he gets 10,000 signatures, he's sending it to the First Presidency. Do I think the First Presidency will change some of the questions? Possibly. And I say that for legal reasons. We are living in a very happy society today, and I could easily see the church changing some procedures. And by the way, you'll get my commentary at the end of this podcast. I just want to set things up. Because not only did I read about this, but I also listened to a fairly well-known podcast called Mormon Land. Actually, I don't know if it's well-known as some of the others, like the Cultural Hall and the Mormon News Report. But I would like to think the uh, uh, Mormon Land podcast is pretty well-known. If it's not, it will be, because of who's doing it. Jennifer Napri appears, Peggy Stack-Fletcher, and uh, some of the guests on there. Uh, you know, Jennifer Napri Pierce uh, is the editor of Salt Lake Tribune. Peggy Fletcher-Stack writes a religious column every week. Some of the people that, well, the people that were on the podcast were Julie Diazavedo, who, by the way, is the daughter of Lex Diazavedo. Julie Diazavedo also owns a therapy center called Wasatch Family Therapy. And I'm sure that Julie Diazavedo has done a lot of great things in the world of therapy. But with this uh, particular thing that I'm about to read to you, these are notes that I took on the podcast, on the Mormon Lamb podcast. I'll link to it in the show notes. I don't necessarily agree with everything that she's saying. I understand her point, but we'll get into that later. Let's just get into what she says here. Uh, Again, these are notes that I have taken uh, while I was listening to the Mormon Land podcast with Julie Diazavedo. Julie thinks that uh, these questions, uh, you know, the the questions definitely need to be re-examined. Um, she agreed. Oh, by the way, Richard Osler, former bishop in Magna, Utah, was on the was on the podcast as well, the Mormon Lamb podcast. So, Julie. Uh, okay, sorry, folks. I'm having some technical issues with uh, my Braille note, which is reading, which is uh, what I'm reading my notes on. Um, So I'll do the best I can. But Julie thinks that, uh, yes, the questions already need to be examined. And she also says that when bishops ask, and I'm paraphrasing here, but when bishops ask questions freely about a youth's sexual behavior, particularly in this case a female, this sends a message that it's appropriate to talk about anything to do with sex to an adult male and we need to ask if there is a, if there is more appropriate ways to do this she also thinks oh, that there can be a lot of shame uh, 
in confessing sexual activities or just talking about sexual behavior with, uh, let's say, a male bishop. Well, I agree with her there. And Richard Osler talks about... Now, again, Richard Osler was on the podcast. He was from Magna. Richard Osler talks about how he did not want his... Now, he was the bishop of a young single adult ward, I might add. That is, for those of you that don't know, 18 to 31. And so he was the bishop of that ward, and he said that he did not want his people to feel guilt or he did not want his people to feel shame he wanted his people to feel guilt because guilt can be a good thing and they can turn it around i'll go over the definition of guilt and shame later but he wanted people to feel guilt and not shame because if people feel shame then they will be very uh, shameful and think that there is nothing that they can do and they think that they're worthless and he says that Shame is the devil's tool to get people to not change or make them feel worthless. He actually does have a point there. We'll get into that later. But he does have a point. Julia Diaz-Avedo also said a lot of the interview should be about what the member wants to talk about. Richard also said that when he was a bishop of the young single adult ward, that he would often, or I guess uh, maybe two or three times a year, he would uh, have a session or a class, probably one of those after Sunday school class uh, combined where the priest, uh, priesthood and Relief Society members meet is probably where he did this. But he said about well, maybe once, uh, two or three times a year, he would meet and say what, uh, what things they should or should not be asked uh, be asked. And then he also said it would be appropriate for a bishop to talk to parents or parents to talk to the bishop. Julie Diazvedo said that bishops should not ask about masturbation. Again, we'll get into that later in the podcast. And Richard Osler used to ask people about masturbation his first year until he started talking to a therapist and realized that this was very inappropriate behavior. And Julia Diazavedo, and I kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, said that she would, I, I guess uh, she has a daughter that is a youth. And she said that she would feel more comfortable talking to a woman, or her daughter talking to a woman or at least uh, her daughter having a woman like the young men's president or someone like that in the room with the bishop and talking about these things. And Julie Diazavedo herself said that she feels more ta more comfortable talking to a woman other than a male about sexual behavior. M. Russell Ballard gave a talk in the October priesthood session of 2002. And I remember this because it was my first priesthood session at the conference center in Salt Lake City. In fact, it was my first time at a general conference live in, and in person at all. And this happened to be in the conference center of 2002. And I'm going to read you an excerpt of this talk. 
because the talk was entitled The Greatest Generation of Missionaries. I'm going to read you an, ex an excerpt of it, and then I'm going to read you some. I'm not going to read all, but I'm going to read you some of the statement that the church made on this issue. And this really must have gotten under the skin of the church, because usually when they make a statement, it's about maybe two or three paragraphs long. But this was very, very long. It was probably a good 10, 15 paragraphs long, I would think. But let's start out with what Eller Ballard said in October of 2002 at a priesthood meeting, at a priesthood session. Too often, our bishops have instructed youth to talk to their parents about troubles they are having. That procedure should be followed, should be following the other way, or should be flowing the other way, I'm sorry. That procedure should be flowing the other way. Parents should be so intimately aware of what is going on in their child's lives that they know about problems or troubles before the bishop does. They, the parents, should be counseling with their children and going with them to their bishops if that becomes necessary. So the church has already said that uh, the parents should go with them. Now, let me just read you an excerpt. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's, like I said, ten paragraphs long probably. But let me just read you uh, an expert of what the church statement said regarding this particular matter. The statement starts off talking about how bishops' interviews are important and how bishops interview youth when they are about ready to receive a calling or ready to advance. For example, a young man might advance from a deacon teacher to a priest, or a young woman might advance from a beehive mime to a laurel. And so when that happens, the bishop's interviews are important. It also talks about how the bishops are interested in the youth's spiritual progress, how they're doing in scripture study and things like that. And then it talks about how the youth leaders, like the young men's president, might interview them and so forth. Although, more so the bishops. When counseling with leaders, when counseling with parents, leaders encourage them to remain close to their children to regular teach and counsel with them asking questions about their progression and worthiness. This allows leaders to act in a, in a supporting role to the family and individual. The statement goes on. This is another excerpt that I'm going to be reading. If during an interview a leader becomes aware of instances of abuse, they are directed to call the church's 24-hour hotline or 24-hour helpline to seek guidance from professional uh, professional counselors to seek guidance and legal professions professional in how to identify, report, and respond to abuse. So the church has already taken care of this. And this goes right into, you know, Elder Ballard uh, 
encouraged youth to talk to their parents. All right, now my commentary. I agree, first of all, let's get this out of the way. I agree with what Elder Ballard said in October of 2002. Here's the problem. I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager, I didn't have the best relationship with my parents. Although, I had a better relationship with my mom than my dad as a teenager. But let's suppose I came home from a date, or I waited a few months to tell my parents about something. Mom, Dad, I messed up. Well, I guarantee you, because I grew up in a very staunch LDS home, that would have sent shockwaves throughout the whole entire household. My mom would have cried and said, what did I do wrong? I didn't, I didn't raise you this way, and I would just would have gone. My, my parents would have just lectured me one, up one side and down the other, which lecturing is okay as a teenager uh, when raising teenagers, but there is a proper way to do so. When something that serious happens, parents do need to express that they are disappointed in their kids, sure. But I also think that they need to be very loving and say, what can we do here? Let's fix this and move on. I also think that youth leaders and parents need to do a better job at teaching their kids about masturbation and other things. The fact that Sam Young's daughter did not know what masturbation was makes me wonder where Sam Young was as a parent because I'm growing up in my house my dad told me exactly what it was my mom told me about masturbation when I was 11 years old because it came up in a conversation so I asked what it was and she told me and then my dad got into it a little bit deeper with me but here's another issue I think parents need to do more than just say, we don't have sex until we're married because it's secret. They need to do a lot more. They need to talk about what happens when you're having sex, the feelings that occur, the commitment rises. You want to know something? The first time I French kissed a girl at the age of 19, by the way, you might be interested to know it was just a few weeks before my mission. Just so you know. Not that it matters, but you're thinking, 19, oh, I wonder if he got on a mission. He went on a mission. Yeah, I did. The first time I French kissed a girl was 19. My commitment level to her rose tremendously. And I thought to myself, no wonder why the church discourages or well I don't want to say discourage they flat out say don't have sex until you're married and I talked to a friend of mine about this issue a few months after my mission because he was going through some struggles 
And I told him that, and he said, yeah, times that by about 10 or 20 when you're having sex with someone. But when we're in a society where sex is so commercialized, it's in your face. Radio stations, there was a sports radio station in Salt Lake City back in 2004 that had a skimpy looking women, woman on the website because they were trying to target their audience. Most males listen to sports radio. And we've heard the old adage, sex sales. Yes, it does. And when we're in a society where people joke about sex, laugh about it, and I have too, parents need to go beyond just the fact that it's sacred. Parents need to talk about the commitment level. They also need to get into things like when you're married and you're, you develop a sex life, there'll be days when sex won't be as good because there's stress on your mind or there's stress on her mind. Don't talk about, I mean, you can, I guess, but I wouldn't recommend parents talking to your youth about all the hot sex moves you and your wife or you and your husband do to turn each other on. You don't need to go there. I suppose you could, but you don't need to. Just talk about the, here's what happens. I don't know where this talk was given. Jeffrey R. Holland gave a very good talk about sex. That when you have sex, it's the closest thing to becoming like God as you can get. Maybe we need to have those conversations with our kids. So that when we're faced with, so when they're faced with the temptation, they can go back to what their parents said. The problem is, is I used to go, I, I spent a lot of time going to state standards nights. And it was the same thing. Sex is sacred. Sex is sacred. Sex is sacred. Stay away from it. Now, one, I will be fair to a bishop I had. We had a bishop, and he made me think, actually. He had uh, two bullets. One of the bullets was, uh, I think, a forty-five Magnum, I think is what it was. The other bullet was a twenty-two. The bullet for the forty-five Magnum was was bigger. And he said, "If your goal is to kill me, I want you to kill me with this forty-five Magnum bullet, not the twenty-two. Because in a court of law, now of course he didn't want us to kill him, but he was trying to set up a point. In a court of law, I could." get the 22 and say, oh, I was just experimenting. Look at how little that bullet is. I didn't know it would go all the way through the person. Or 45 Magna, I may not be able to do that too much. I may not be able to do it at all. And he said, but you still killed me. It doesn't matter what you say in a court of law. Because in the church, they also talk about petting. Heavy petting, light petting. Stay away from it. So if you go to the bishop's office and say, oh, we just did some petting, doesn't matter. Another thing that bothers me about all of this, part of, I think a lot of reason why there is guilt 
is because Satan does not want you to repent. He wants you to feel shame. Speaking of shame, what is shame? Well, let's look up the definition. Shame, the painful feeling um, arised from the circumstances of something dishonorable, ridiculous, etc. Done by oneself or another. For example, she was shame overcome with, oh, she was, hang on, what was the example? She was, oh, she was overcome with shame, disgrace. Enigmy, I think. I-G-N-O-M-I-N-Y. Enigmy. His actions brought shame upon his parents. Well, sounds familiar. So Satan wants you to feel that. I actually agree with uh, Richard Osler about guilt. What is the definition of guilt? A feeling of resemblance or remorse for some offense, crime, wrongdoing, etc. Right, real, right, real, or imagine. I actually agree with Bishop Osler, Richard Osler, former bishop in Magna. Guilt should want you to do better. But again, folks, Satan does not want you to repent. I think that's where a lot of this guilt is coming from. And yes, I can speak from experience. It is very uncomfortable to go confess to a bishop about sexual sins. How do I know this? Because I've done it before. Yes, I'm not afraid to say I've done it before. Why am I admitting this? Because on my podcast, I want to be very open and honest with you. The law of chastity is something I struggled with from the time I was 21 up until probably, oh, if you really want to get technical about it, till about 36. If you really want to get technical. By the way, for the record, no, I've never had intercourse, but I've done the closest thing you can come to it. I'll give you an example. And then, again, this is not because... I want somebody to play, gotcha, Kevin's an idiot, Kevin's a hypocrite. Well, I repented. And let me give you an example. And again, I'm just admitting all this to you because I want you to know that I'm human. And I've had struggles. And I know what it's like to go down this road. When I was 21, I had a long-distance relationship And the girl was a lot more experienced than me when we talk about going down the forbidden path. Going down the forbidden path meaning, in this case, breaking the law of chastity. She was very experienced. Having never gone down that road before, I was pretty curious. In spite of what happened to me the first time I French kissed a girl at 19, I was still pretty curious because I'd never gone down this road before. I was, and so we, she started telling me things, and 
one weekend, because it was a long-distance relationship, I took the Greyhound bus to go see her. And we did what you would call, some would call it Levi loving. The older generation, I guess, calls it sparking because two zippers go together, or they can. But you know what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not kidding. It took me probably 11 months to finally confess. And during that 11 months, I'm not kidding, I felt worthless. I felt shameful. I did everything I could to try and hide the fact. Now, it could have been a possibility that maybe with close friends of mine, I alluded to the fact that I did something that I shouldn't have done. In fact, I know I did because one of my friends was encouraging me to go see the bishop. But I was so scared. A lot of that scaredness, afraidness, came from the devil himself. He doesn't want you to repent. Let me tell you something. Oh, by the way, just so you know, no, I have never been disfellowshipped. Let me tell you what happened. I went to the bishop and told him what I did. And he just said, I'm glad you told me. I wish you would have told me sooner. Well, I wish I would have too. But he said, here's some things I want you to do. I want you to pray morning, night, uh, you know, before breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Go to all the church activities. I still want you to come to church every Sunday. Which I had already been doing, but I think he wanted to reemphasize the fact that he was not going to disown me. And he said, in the church, we teach don't have sex until you're married. That doesn't mean just intercourse. And that made me think. Let me tell you something else. A little over a year ago, I believe it was July 6th, it was either July 5th or July 6th of last year, 2016. I went to confess to a bishop about some... Actually, I'll tell you what happened. Actually, it was uh, July 3rd, 2016. It was a Sunday morning. I went to the bishop because I scheduled an appointment to him. I confessed something, and he said, Come back. You have a your temple recommend has expired because he looked at it. He said, You're, I'm going to set you up for a temple recommend interview. Or, or he told me when they were. I, I can't remember if he set an appointment. It doesn't matter. The point is, I went for a temple recommend interview. I believe it was on July 5th. And it was either 5th or 6th. Let's just say it was the 6th. And I went to the Temple Recommend interview. And at the, I, before I went, I told myself I was going to confess to everything that I had not confessed to. Because there was a lot that I kept hidden. Because earlier, guilt, shame. I'm not kidding. Four hours before I went and confessed, I had all kinds of negative thoughts going through my mind. I was debating whether I was even going to show up to this interview. 
That was the first thought. The second thought was, just don't say anything. Just go and say that everything's fine. You've cleared up everything. And then the third thought, just tell a half-truth. This was going on for four hours before I met with the counselor and the bishop brick. Can't remember if he was first or second counselor, so we'll just call him the counselor. When I was confessing, it took everything in me to confess and put it all out there on the table. But I felt like I had to do it. If I was truly, truly going to repent, I had to put everything out there. It took everything in me. I even said to the council, I hope you don't hate me when I tell you this. Even though I knew he wouldn't, but there's just that guilt and shame that we all talk about. And Richard Osler said it very well. Then when I told him everything, he said, well, I need to go talk to the bishop. Stay there. This is just to help you. This isn't to smitten you. That's, I'm paraphrasing. That's basically what he said. I waited probably for about, I don't know, five minutes maybe in agony. I felt like I was highly alert, more alert than usual. Then the counselor came back and he said, the bishop wants to see you on Sunday morning. Can you come? I kid you not, folks, the minute he said that, I am not joking when I say this either, when I said when he said that, I felt the spirit of the Lord really strong. And I hadn't felt the spirit of the Lord that strong in a while. And I said, yeah. And I actually asked the uh, counselor, can you feel the spirit? And he said, yes. I thought, good, I'm not the only one, because this is pretty powerful. And I said, I can too. So we set up an appointment. Now, I was not allowed to take the sacrament for a couple of weeks, but that's that was that's part of the repentance process. The whole point here is, if you're truly going to repent, back to these questions, back to Julie Diazavedo, the church needs to change the way that they ask these questions. Well, if you're truly going to repent, in my opinion, you've got to lay it all out there. All of it. And I'm not talking every sin you've done in the world. I'm talking about, you know, if you've committed a sexual transgression or several. Or if you have a problem looking at pornography. You've got to lay it all out there on the table. I don't care what a psychologist or social worker would say. I don't care. You've got to lay it all out there. If you're truly going to repent and fix what you've done in your life, you've got to lay it out there. Even if it's not comfortable. Believe me, it's not comfortable. Again. The adversary does not want you to repent. Let's talk about disciplinary councils. Now, I've never been at a disciplinary council, but I have friends that have. I've had friends that have struggled with 
the law of chastity and such, and they've been to disciplinary councils. And from what they told me, the bishop does ask a lot of questions. And the bishop will give the person advice and ask why you did this and talk about how serious this is. Not in a mean way, not lecturing one side down the other, but in a way that uh, the person would be receptive towards it. At least that's the goal. Also during this, but if the bishop is probing and asking a whole bunch of questions in a disciplinary council, in my opinion, he has every right. Because again, that's part of the repentance process. The bishop wants to make sure that you're repenting. The bishop wants to make sure you're not telling a half-truth. It's kind of like sitting next to a judge where they might ask you a question, then they might ask you another way if you're not telling them the truth. It's kind of like being in court. It might even be like sitting next to an attorney that does not like you, that's defending another person and not you. But this is what has to happen if we're going to repent. So I get really suspicious when people say the church needs to re-examine these questions. Yeah, I'm sure that there are some bishops that probe and probe and probe and maybe maybe it was uncomfortable. And yeah, maybe bishops shouldn't ask flat out during a bishop's interview. You know, let's say you're going in for a bishop's interview to advance in a calling. Maybe the bishop should just ask, are you keeping the law of chastity? And leave it at that. And if you say yes, great, move on. But if you say no, then the bishop has every right to ask, what have you done? Or the bishop can even go as far as, let's set an appointment, I want to talk about this later. And I'm actually okay, as long as the bishop is okay with having someone else in the room while continuing discussion at a la uh, while continuing the discussion at a later time. I'm okay with that, as long as it's okay with the bishop. I can actually see some value, let's say if a young woman's ha struggling with the law of chastity, doesn't want to talk to the bishop one-on-one, -on -one, maybe she wants her young woman's president there. As long as the bishop's okay with that, I'm fine with it. And the only reason I am fine with that is because I'm aware of the world that we live in today with lawsuits and all kinds of things that could happen. I wouldn't be okay with my parents sitting in on the interview. No way. Because of what I said when I was a teenage about what a, when I was a teenager, but young men's president, maybe someone else counselor. I might be okay. I might have been okay with that. I think it is a very hard job to be a bishop, and especially in this day and age. And we have petitions going on around like this. We have uh, lawsuits going on. But the point is, let's not lose the whole perspective of this. There's more to the story that we're not being told by the Julie Diazavados and the Richard Oslers and the Sam Youngs out there. Let's remember 
and I have to emphasize this, Satan does not want you to repent. You want to know why I felt uncomfortable that four hours before I confessed everything? Because the adversary was angry with me. That's why. And I knew it then. That's why I took everything in me to just be honest. I'm Kevin Williams. I will. I may do another podcast tomorrow, or I may do one another time before the year is over. In the meantime, I will talk to you later.